Welcome to episode 23 of the Travelling Wellness Show, where yet again I'm on the Queensland Sunshine Coast and finishing this two-part series on skeletal muscle and how to get more of this life-altering body tissue. On today's show, Mike Debenon and myself provide the framework from which all great bodies are ultimately spawned. There is enough science to keep you interested, enough experience to make things happen, and of course, passion for days. I go into a lot more detail around the nutritional requirements that you must implement for results and the scientific validation for doing so. As promised, Mike has been busy in the gym with a friend to bring you the exercises which frame up many of the push-pull variations that Mike discusses throughout this two-part muscle-building series. These exercises alone will take you far and will work within any periodized training plan. We ultimately advise that you seek the guidance of an experienced trainer in your area, particularly if you're not confident in the execution of correct exercise form. Otherwise, just build up slowly, beginning with your own personal form review in front of a mirror to make sure that you're mimicking the correct techniques before you pick up any weight at all. There are also hundreds of regressive movements for any of you not capable of achieving the exercise patterns provided without pain or mobility concerns. Another great reason to work with a local fitness professional. Podcasts such as this are a labour of love which I can only hope you pick up and run with. After 17 years full-time sitting in front of dysfunctional and diseased people, let me assure you that prophylaxis is always the best option. Don't wait until it happens to you, and don't let disease dictate the terms of your existence. In the words of Stephen Covey, to know but not to do is not to know. And so guys, it's time to get doing. And at the basis of any health protocol lies action. So this is the part where you come in and begin putting theory in its place. You are listening to Caravan Conversations with Shannon Brenton. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. Caravan Conversations is proudly produced by PSE Supplements and explores general health, nutrition and lifestyle with one of Australia's most experienced clinicians. Now, let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Travelling Wellness Show. I'm Shannon Brenton, your host and owner of PSE Supplements and uh, welcome back to part two uh, of... uh, the, the muscle show, we'll call it, for the sake of giving it a name. But uh, sitting here back with uh, Mike D, guys, IFBB Pro Bodybuilder. Uh, last week, I hope you got to enjoy um, well, part one, which is all about Mike, where Mike comes from, what makes Mike a good person to talk to on the show about gaining muscle, and uh, a little bit of his story, of his background, his upbringing. Mike feels like absolute shit today, guys. So Cheers, I might have to, uh, I might have to slap him a few times to get him going. But he's had a hard day. He's halfway through a sale of his house here, and uh, he got home today to his dog that had half torn a blue tongue lizard to death. Not even half to half. It was fully, fully torn apart. Not even half. So yeah, F- fully, fully in half. And Mike had to uh, humanely take care of the animal, which is always a bit depressing when your your partner's in tears. And but anyway, this is life, eh? <laughs> 
Let's talk about muscle. Anyone want a bull mastiff? Yeah. A bull mastiff for sale? It is a bull mastiff and <laughs> bull it's the world's biggest dog. So, uh, guys, just to recap a bit from last week. Uh, essentially, last week was all about getting to know Mike, you know, and why I brought Mike on the show and uh, what it is you guys can learn from Mike. So, certainly today, which does have a bit more of the, uh, the anatomy and physiology of uh, the muscle cell and the growth cycle and what we're actually trying to achieve with lean tissue accumulation, um, I'll take over all those parts, but we'll get to hear from Mike, uh, particularly in reference to actually what we need to do in a gym or at home or you know, with the basic equipment Mike spoke about last time. And what I really hope you got from part one, other than a good introduction um, with Mike, was more about the fact that muscle is something that affects us all. Uh, it does decline with age. There's no two way about that, and statistics do show it. And your ability to live a good life later in life is partly regulated by how much of this stuff you're able to accrue and how well you're able to maintain this through your life. You would agree with that, Mike? Absolutely. Absolutely, So, you know, other than the fact that, you know, muscle will give you the look you're after, so we'll we'll just speak straight from the ego for a moment, you know, good, lean, hard, muscular bodies with, you know, a lot of this good, dense tissue, which is metabolically active, as Mike said last week, does help to keep our body fat levels lower, which is good. And, you know, when it comes to lifting heavy objects around the house, like Mike said last week about getting that uh, that mower up into the ute or, you know, uh, maintaining bone density um, in uh, older population, this stuff's real. And what we're bringing to you guys here, this is general pop stuff. Uh, I didn't get together with Mike to put together a bodybuilding show. Uh, this isn't um, aimed at anyone who's interested in bodybuilding for competition and the like. This is for general population. So it's for all you guys listening. And, you know, it's important that you do understand that the actual principles and processes behind the accrual of lean tissue muscle is, is really where the magic happens because other than the fact that, you know, we go to the gym to, you know, put on muscle or we train at home to put on muscle, it's the act of what we need to do through these progressive overload techniques to gain the muscle that actually helps to maintain a healthy aging process. So, you know, things like, you know, adequate levels of you know, animal anabolic hormones, I'll try again, so your testosterone, your HGH, human growth hormone, or your insulin-like growth factors, um, you know, really, really important because these do degrade with age, and the degradation of hormones is pretty much what leads to the aging process. So frailty in aging populations, uh, wasting, or or what we call sarcopenia, so an age-related muscle loss, and these things all pinpoint towards um, a lot of our pro-inflammatory uh, disease processes, and we also get uh, what's known as uh, sarcopenic obesity, so where we lose a lot of muscle but gain body fat due to the fact that we become metabolically so inefficient. So it's the actual process of putting muscle on that saves us, and with that comes the nutritional intervention and protocols that are important to actually make this happen. So I want to just recap by saying putting muscle on is shit easy in many ways, okay? So unless you've got some kind of underlying uh, endocrinological dysfunction that's stopping you from gaining weight, i.e. low testosterone, you know, elevated levels of prolactin, um, you know, um, amenorrhea in women, so no, uh, no, no, um, no menstrual cycle due to hormonal inactivity, you know, underlying thyroid dysfunctions or, or, or any sort of um, problematic disease processes that stop you from gaining weight. The actual process of accruing muscle simply comes down to the progressive overload, so moving, exercising, and eating appropriately. And we're going to cover both those today for you guys. But for anyone that 
does think or is prone to or has history of um, issues with any conditions, certainly of the anabolic variety, so low testosterone, elevated sex hormone binding globulins or, or you know, elevated prolactin levels, uh, histories of uh, pituitary adenomas or any sort of um, you know, benign tumours on the brain that can certainly appinge your ability to regulate hormonal function. Get these things checked. Make sure they're all ruled out. Have a full blood count. Let your GP know that you are wanting to start a resistance exercise protocol and then it just comes down to applying the basics and the simple philosophies that we're going to discuss today. So um, welcome Mike. Uh, <laughs> I know I've just had a little rant. Uh, we'll get to you in a tick. I think what I might do just you know, just to sort of bring this all back in is just recap a little bit uh, of what we're actually trying to uh, to do when we're actually going to a gym because there's this sort of delicate balance between um, you know what what we deem as being a a, a muscle loss for a, versus a muscle gain, and in scientific jargon, uh, we discuss the principles of muscle protein synthesis, which is you know the generation of new muscle fibre, and also muscle protein breakdown. And both these processes are essential and vital for uh, the long term goal of gaining more lean tissue. So. When we go to a gym and we start lifting a weight, uh, and be that lifting heavy weights like a power lifter to like a one rep maximum where we're busting our ass trying to get strong, or whether or not we're you know going to like curves if you're like a you know mid fifty year old woman for instance, and you're going doing your twenty or thirty minute circuit of a lower intensity, the whole process here is that we are actually causing this muscle protein breakdown to occur, and this damage, this trauma is very important, and I, and I need you to understand that because last Mike, last week when Mike was talking about the fact that training must be uncomfortable. This is a place where most people would get it wrong from the beginning. Other than your nutritional interventions that people stuff up pretty much all the time, people really, uh, it's, it's weird for me, Mike, because it's like people expect they can go to the gym and have a pleasant time, you know, and leave without a sweat, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it just doesn't work that way. And I want you to know, though, just to... Um, I guess, take the, uh, the anxiety and stress away from the whole process of worrying about picking up your first weight at 40 or 35 or 60 or whatever you are and having to uh, bust a gut in the gym and the stress that brings. Um, whether or not you're lifting really heavy weight for low reps, you know, which would generally be inducing what we would call myofibrillar hypertrophy, which means we're increasing the actual size and production of new muscle fibers, or whether or not you're training at relatively low intensity over a high repetition, which we generally deemed sarcoplasmic hypertrophy, so actually increasing the sarcoplasm, so the amount of volume of liquid essentially, so water and collagen and glycogen essentially inside that muscle cell to give more muscle volume and size. Whether you're lifting the heavy weight or the low weight, you're actually going to um, still get good results. But the important thing to understand here, and studies have certainly backed this up, that what it comes down to more than anything is the fact that each of these processes, whether you're lifting really heavy weights or lifting quite low weights, is the fact that it must happen to failure. It's a very important new part you understand that whether you're lifting a heavy weight and it becomes difficult to do, and that happens at five reps, so whether you're lifting quite a low weight and it becomes difficult to do at 20 reps, that's still what we're looking to, do, to, to achieve. And scientific studies do validate the fact that whether or not you are training at you know, 30% of your one rep max or 90% of your one rep max, going to failure still will increase 
your chances absolutely 100% of muscle protein synthesis. So the creation and generation of new muscle fibers, which is what we're talking about here today. Trying to escape the sarcopenia, make sure our life is good, and make sure that we don't have to live in a nursing home with aged care when we're older, which is certainly the way it looks according to statistics for people who do suffer with um, sarcopenia. So that's what, it's, that's what it's all about, guys. And we're going to get with Mike in a moment and talk about sort of his top exercises and what they should look like. And what I like about the way uh, Mike has, has sort of framed this up for you guys, it's really simple, okay? And <clears throat> if you go to the website, if you haven't already, if you might have downloaded this from iTunes or whatnot, if you go to the travelingwellnessshow.com and go to today's episode, you'll see that I've actually included photos there of Mike actually doing the exercises for you. And that will obviously give you um, some guidelines and some parameters as to what this exercise should look like, what the form's like, how it should feel. And if you have any issues, you feel free to contact me. Uh, you can contact Mike through any of his social media pages, which are also included on the website and we'll make sure we make this a relatively simple transition for you. I don't want this to be hard, but I also don't want to teach you to suck eggs, you know. So uh, the, the big thing about, um, you know, the accrual of lean tissue mass, both through your diet and through the training aspects, I said before it's relatively easy, and I know Mike <laughs> probably rolled his eyes when I said that, but it, it, it really is just a case of simple repetition, isn't it, Mike? Absolutely. So yep. Doing it and doing it and doing it and getting into that sits and getting into that process of the fact where the diet is optimal, the training is optimal, and we don't do it for two or three weeks and then fucking sit down. It's about continuing that process. And guess what, guys? You do get to the point where it doesn't seem as hard anymore. And when it doesn't seem as hard anymore, you up your weight so it feels hard. But the stoke comes with it as you see your body change, as you feel your body change, as those tuck shot lady arms start to dissipate and you start to actually grow some tricep, you're going to want to do it more, I'm telling you. So, <clears throat> um, Mike, how do people get motivated to train? Tell me about it. Because those first few weeks are a pain in the ass, right, for oh, a lot absolutely. of people. absolutely, yeah. And, the, and, and, the, and it, we, you know, we've talked about the, the discomfort that you go through when you go to the gym and especially when you first start. Um, and I think that there's for, for people that get into the training a bit at a bit of an older age, yeah. they tend to have a bit of a concern that they're, um, you know, they walk, go to the gym, they do some exercise, they're a bit sore, they they hurt, they wake up the next day feeling really uncomfortable, and they actually think they've overdone it. Yet if it was that was caused outside of the gym, if they went for a walk up one of the local mountains or something along those sort of lines, and they yep. found out that they you know woke up the next morning a bit stiff in the legs and a bit sore in the glutes and stuff, it's okay. Not as much stress yeah, around it, is there? Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So the but yeah, the big thing is getting around that when people go to the gym the first time, no matter how easy um, or hard they if they put in, they're going to wake up the next day probably feeling that little bit of discomfort. And don't be concerned about that. Just yeah. be mindful that that would happen if you did something outside of the gym. If you went for a walk up a hill, if you went and did went down to the beach and you know and did a wee bit of swimming, you're going to wake up the next day feeling stiff and a bit sore. Yeah. It's exactly the same. Process. And, you, and you mentioned too on the first episode the fact that you know a lot of this is coming down to what you referred to as functional movement, right? That's right. So with that will come bending. You know, will come do, doing things where you're actually recruiting. You know, large muscle groups. Absolutely. And when you're recruiting large muscle groups and you're putting them through some trauma, it's normal. Yep. And if and effective for you there to be a little bit of sensitivity and pain the next day. Absolutely. And when we're talking about functional functional activity, with, with if we think about the, you know we're building a new garden, a home, or so or so forth, and we get out with a shovel, you know there's resistance to there. We wake up the next day, we're sore, yeah, we're achy, but we go, oh, we've got a new garden built. You know that's okay. And again, exactly the same sort of thing. And that's yeah. the sort of when we talk about doing functional movement is what we want to consider. We want to consider the movements that we would do on a day to day that would cause. Um, some adaptation 
and, and, and change. Tell me what the general consensus is with your general pop people you train. What's the general consensus after, say, um, you know, one month, three months, and six months? Well, obviously, it gets, um, it gets easier. Yep. You know, and when I say it gets easier, you know, we're continuously upping the load. So we're, you know, that progressive, um, progressive load that we were talking about um, last time we chatted. Um, but one of the big things is that we get conditioned to being able to handle that load and handle that slight discomfort. Yeah. Um, and and that's I think where the key is is that people the first time it'll be very very uncomfortable when they you know, potentially very uncomfortable when they wake up the next morning. And they may find it, oh, it's hard to get up and bloody, you know, go to the toilet and everything's yep. aching. Yep. But after a period of time, after a month or so, they'll still be, have that discomfort, but their body can handle it more. It's just a purely a, a conditioning thing. Yep. It's no different than um, an athlete who comes into the preseason, you know, um, you know, a league player, the first week that they're into preseason, you know, they get banged yeah, they up a little bit. They want to go home and oh, cry to mum. Just, absolutely. <laughs> and and they, you know, as they get through the season, they tough it. And, you know, they can handle that a bit more. And, and the, the, you know, the average population is no different. You'll get to handle those loads more and, and actually get to handle the discomfort more. Yeah. In fact, you might find you actually start to enjoy that little bit of discomfort. And how many people find, too, that they don't get the discomfort anymore and kind of pine for it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So a lot of people, they'll, they'll start to you know, progress, and, and they'll come to me the next day and go, oh, my legs weren't sore yesterday. Yeah, yeah like, I mustn't have trained them hard And enough. it's almost, almost a, a disappointment for them. It's like, yeah, yeah. You know, normally my legs really hurt. They didn't yeah. hurt. Did I not train hard enough? So you do get to that point. Talk to us a bit, Mike, about um, you know, functional efficiency and work rate, because it's something that I'm, I'm big on with people that I look after for these sorts of protocols is the fact that when you go to the gym, you're not there to fuck around, right? Yep. You know what I mean? We're not there for an hour and a half. We don't want to spend a long time there. We want to get in. We want to stimulate. We want to get the hell out of there, right? Yep, so absolutely. we're not growing muscle in a gym. We're breaking down at a gym. So, you know, an analogy I've always used with people is it's like I've got a, you know, a pistol in my hand and I've got six bullets in the chamber, you know? So, you know, spin the barrel, put it to your head, pull the trigger, blow your brains across the wall behind you. I don't then shoot you in the arms and legs. You know, yep. it's like jobs done type thing. So when we actually go into a gym or even in your backyard with some basic functional um, equipment, the whole idea of the protocol here is to actually get the job done just to stimulate that muscle breakdown and then get into the position where we can put our body into a nutritional and rested state to actually do the growth, right? Absolutely. So talk to us a bit about the kind of work rate and efficiency that's necessary because I know that – and a lot of people listening to this are either A, guilty of it, or B, have seen it. The people that will go to the gym and, you know, jump on the, you know, um, the pin-loaded chest press and will push out a pissy weight with really no trauma at all. And then we'll sit there and rest for three to five minutes. Or, you know, if you're sub-25, probably jump on your phone onto social media. <laughs> I'm not even lying. <laughs> Tell us about the problems with this and really what some of the time frames people should be looking at. Like, what should a workout look like in length of time? How long should we, you know, um, what, what should the time and attention be with a weight? And how long should we rest between sets? Yeah, look, for, for the, the general population, you know, they should be able to get in and out of the gym between 30 to um, 40. Five minutes, yep. and, and and efficiently do what they. You hear that, guys? Do. Yes, that means yeah, if you're training absolutely. three days a week, you're looking at somewhere between an hour and a half and two hours a week. Absolutely, that's your investment. It's that, it's, it's negligible. Not, it's, it's not a lot. It's yep. not a lot. The um, as far as the rest is concerned, I'm a you know, and, and this is where depending on what your outcome goals are, it, yep. it does change. So obviously, if you're really trying to focus a little bit more on getting much stronger, then you're going to rest a bit longer. So you're doing going to do a set. You want to have a rest long enough that then you can. And you've also that. lifted heavier, though, right? And, and you've lifted heavier. Yeah. Yep. Um, and 
can do it. But for the majority of the population, the rest should have probably be between about 30 to 45 seconds. Yeah. It's just enough to basically get your breath back, know that yep. you can then complete another set. And, yep. you know, if we're looking at it, depending on how many reps, which is obviously the, 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 the amount of repetitions of the exercise you do within that set, yeah. Um, you know, for the average population, it might be somewhere between 10 to 15, depending on what the goals are. But if you're doing 10 to 15 reps, you're probably allowing a couple of seconds to complete each rep. Then you know, and with the forty-five seconds between, you know, you'll you knock the workout out pretty quickly. Yeah. And especially with the protocols that we'll talk talk about um, shortly, yeah. shortly, um, that we can make that very, very efficient. And that's the key: is to make it efficient. It's not like a, a, a like my sport where I'm going in, I'm very much targeting hitting the one muscle from yeah. every angle possible. <laughs> We're talking about you know going in and using movements that are going to uh, going to work the muscle at their at probably their optimal. Um, uh, angles, if you will, if you will. So, what they're actually designed to do. Yeah, we're yeah. looking at a shotgun approach. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think it's important for people to realise too. You know, that when you're in a gym, you lift the weight. Uh, there's three prime energy systems, guys. And when you're lifting uh, in an anaerobic environment like this, basically we're using what we call the ATP creatine phosphate cycle. So we're looking here at the generation of energy through the the accrual of, of more ATP or adenosine triphosphate. So we're basically just you know um, swapping and, and dragging in new phosphate groups from a thing called creatine phosphate, which is stored in skeletal tissue. So you know when you're putting the body under a lot of force, the body will um, require and use ATP faster than it would with like a, a 5k run, for instance. When we start to actually split now into glycolytic systems and, and different aerobic pathways for energy, but the whole idea here is just about basically generating more of this ATP, more of this adenosine triphosphate, which is basically giving us the power to do the next set. Okay, we don't have to wait five minutes for that process to occur. It's about getting in there, exhausting it, which you know will take somewhere between probably 12 and 10, 10 to 15 seconds, I'd say, for a set, which yep. is right where that ATP, creatine phosphate cycle works. And then obviously letting our body regenerate this this um, anaerobic energy pathway so that we're capable of doing it again. But we only want to rest for the period of time that's necessary to be able to lift that weight for, once again, those predetermined set of reps that we'll talk about with Mike later on and um, you know get ourselves to that position of failure. So does that sound right to you, Mike? Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, there, there is a purpose with rest, guys, and there, and there is a, a purpose with lifting. So with the talk to us a bit about, Mike, about the, uh, the eccentric and concentric phase. So basically, guys, you know, like in a chest press, when you push the weight forward, it's a contractive phase, and then when you're lowering that weight back down, it's what we call the eccentric phase. Yeah. So both of these phases are important for muscle fibre recruitment. Um, what's your personal philosophy, Mike, around, you know, how long it should take? Some people are all about experience exploding that contractive phase and four second negatives and others are all about you know four up and four down with a one pause bottom and top what's your thoughts what do you find works best look to be honest I actually incorporate a whole host of different sort of um, you know angles I suppose on, on the eccentric and concentric you yep. know one definitely one thing that we want to take into consideration is in general and there's always a general rule and there's always an exception to the rule sure. but a much lo- a slower um, eccentric load than what there is a concentric load yep. because we can lift something from from a from a let's say a, a shelf that's above our head yep. we can generally lift a heavier weight from that shelf down to the floor than what we can take it from the floor up so yep. the eccentric you know the, the 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 negative part of the movement is a little bit we're stronger so we can um, increase our overload by by doing a slower eccentric 
Um, in the same token, there's a few movements where the, the focus is purely on a concentric. Mm-hmm. Um, if we look at uh, an exercise such as a deadlift, which we'll go into a bit more depth, um, where the, it is a purely con- uh, you know, concentric movement, yeah. um, and the, the degree of eccentric load will, is sort of depending on the outcome, essentially. Sure. Okay. And, that, and that, you look, know, I've sort of, um, I think we all learn as we go through, you know, coming from more of a bodybuilding background, we're using continuously, uh, a, 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 you know, both the concentric and eccentric phase of the movement, so mm-hmm. lifting the weight and then controlled putting down. Yep. But then from um, being involved more recent with strongman powerlifting, yep. um, the eccentric load on a deadlift is is almost non-existent. Yeah, it's <laughs> just get it up. You just get can't, it up, get you it can't up. give an eccentric yeah, yeah, phase. Yeah, absolutely. So as, we, as people progress, and again going through progressive overload, that they may start with a with a very controlled con- uh, concentric eccentric movement on a particular yeah. lift, and yes. then maybe as their goals change, they may then put more focus on the onto the concentric, yes. lot, just as much as they may turn around and put a bit more more um, emphasis on but the we eccentric. But we don't we don't let the weight return to its normal position by just dropping it there. No. Yeah, no. which is what we would call the eccentric phase. It's absolutely. So absolutely. if you've pulled the weight in or pushed the weight out, now when it's returning back to that it's, it's neutral be, set point, it's got to be controlled. It's got to be controlled. And that's obviously where, where strength comes from, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yep. yeah. Because we do, we develop more strength through our eccentric phase than what we do through our concentric phase. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of people make the mistake though of having no eccentric phase. Absolutely. You know, you'll find this push and drop, push and drop, or pull and drop, pull yep. and drop, you know, yep. and, and they're the ones that seem to be the hard gainers in the gym, absolutely. the ones that have the difficult time and go through the monotony of the process without necessarily getting the results. And the, and the big risk with it, with that is also injury, obviously, yeah. because we're, you, if you've got a, a, a movement where you've got a, a certain weight and you're, you know, you're pushing it away from you and, th- and that's the concentric phase, yeah. and then at, with the eccentric coming down, if you don't control that, the load that's coming down, when you have to sort of stop it, Take the load, mm. return the return the force, and that's when you people are going to end up with shoulder injuries or you know tendon injuries, injuries and so. And how often so you see that tendonitis, bursitis, things like that all the time. And then of course you can't train or can't train properly for two to three months. So it takes you out. Go through yep. this process. Yeah. Yep. So you know, first and foremost, guys, the, the importance is getting in there, making sure you've got a structured protocol, making sure, particularly if you're not confident uh, or don't have access to um, you know uh, YouTube and things like that, where you can you know get some level of um, form I wouldn't say it's always good but there are some reasonable people online that can teach you some of these things making sure that the very first and foremost thing is about injury prevention Uh, this is only of use to you if you continue to do this for periods of time Uh, it does dick you know if you do it for four months and then stop because you've you know ruptured a knee or something like that you know Um, this probably feels like a a relatively uh, good time to start talking exercise so um What's once again general pop? So not bodybuilding, but what is your um, what's your best advice for people who you know want to commit to putting on some good lean tissue mass um, that can spare the hour and a half to two hours a week that we discussed beforehand, yep. or even an hour? Let's yep. say someone can do a half hour twice a week, right? Yep. You, you do that ongoing for eighteen months, two years, whatever. You're, you're still get, in a fantastic position. Get, absolutely, you know? you're going to get progression. So that that half hour twice a week can make a big a big difference, but. How would you recommend people sort of break their their training up and what kind of training, I guess, philosophy or protocol do you generally use in these cases? Okay, for general populations, I think it's really, really easy. And funnily enough, the general population is, is also mirrors very much what I do with a with a, a, an athlete, uh, such as a rugby player, rugby league player or, or, or cricket player. Yep. Um, and there's, there's basically 
four movements that we need to consider. Yep. We need an upper body push. Yep. We need an upper body pull. We need yep. a lower body push. And we need a lower body pull. Yep. Okay? Yep. And between, Sounds simple. It's very simple. It's very <laughs> simple. So you think about it. Our upper body push, we're going to push a weight away from us. Yes. Our upper body pull, we're going to pull a weight towards, pull towards us. Yep. And it, the same thing applies with the lower body. And again, as I said, what we do with the general populations is actually mirroring what we do what what I do with a with a with a, an athlete. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, um, as far as your sort of rep ranges and so forth are concerned, again, they may change as you go as you progress. Mm-hmm. But I've always found that sort of starting with a ten with ten reps. Start mm-hmm. as, as, a, as, a, as a good Yeah, it's good a pretty place. good starting it's, it's, point. It's, it's safe. It's yeah. really safe. And again, depending on the exercises used, then we may start, if you're a complete beginner, just one rep of each. Yeah. So to, to start with, you may go into the gym, or if you're using some equipment at home, or body weight, even body weight, yeah. and just do one set yeah. of each. And then we'll progress that to two sets. Yeah. And then we'll progress it to three sets. Yeah. You know, so it's a very, very simple thing to do. Remember too, guys, that you know, when you walk into a gym and you go to start a set, let's say you're going to you know, do like a standing um, dumbbell shoulder press, just for instance, um, you know, and you'll find the, the strongest of bodybuilders will do the same thing. There always needs to be a warm-up phase. So we're not, we're not going to walk in, grab the six-kilo dumbbell, because that's what we finished on last week and, and create the movement. We're going to go in. We're probably going to um, you know, not even pick up a one-kilo one dumbbell at this point. We want to sit there and just mirror, mirror the movement we want to warm up our rotator cuff, get ourselves yep. into this pattern of you know um, being functional. Yeah, we've all we've all watched um, you know cricket players um, on TV, the top level guys, and they've, you know they've got their bat and they're just doing a slow swing. Yeah. And, or if it's a, if, if they're a bowler, they you know they're just getting their arm turning over. Yep. And the same thing applies to to, to us as, as as athletes of life, I suppose. Mm. Um, and so when we talk sets, we're ta- always talking about our working sets but yep. prior to those working sets there has to be an, you know, a, a good warm up mm. and that is mimicking the, mimicking the movement you're about to do yes um but with no that's load. the word I was looking yeah, for mimicking yeah, yeah. Just, that's all it is it's all it is you're, you're it, meant to be the tired by Mike I can't even pull bloody mimic I'm starting to pull a bit of you're warming up mate. Yeah, 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 warm up so um, yeah so it's, it's about mimicking that movement that you're about to do yep. and then slowly increasing your load yep until you're getting to a point where you feel comfortable, you're warm, you're confident, yep. you've got all that neural stimulation, so the the, mu- the muscles are doing what they're supposed to do. Yep. Your the move- brain's talking yep, to the muscles. Yep, your, your movement patterns are right, and then you can go to your first set. Yeah, which we would deem your working sets. Yeah? Your working sets. So there might be... You know, you might start with one working set, but generally we'd work somewhere between probably, you know, one and four working sets, yep. I would yep. say. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And you're saying at first to start, particularly to get people's confidence up, it's not a bad idea just to start with a set. So go just upper one. body push, upper body pull, lower body push, lower body pull. Absolutely. You're over in four sets. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. You, you know, again, it's probably going to depend on the on, on the condition of the person that, that walks into the gym. Yeah. Um, you know, if we're looking at general populations, we're going to have 40-year-olds that are, that are fit and able, as yep. being someone in, my, in their 40s myself. <laughs> um, but then we've also, you know, we're going to have people that are, that are in their forties that are that probably haven't done any exercise for for twenty years. Fair while, absolutely. Probably and since they left, since their last PE and probably in, in worse nick than they were before they started as well. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just strain of life, you know, stress, muscles, and tension yep. and tightness. We hold that in our body. Yep. So, yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say something that I won't say it, but uh, yeah, no. Look, I'm I'm feeling you there, mate. And one of the things people uh, people ask me a lot, you probably get the same question as well with people who are going to train themselves or work, you know, without the uh, sort of authority of a trainer above them. What weight should I start at? 
how do you recommend people sort of find that out? I know it's trial and yeah, error, but yeah. you know, Look, just I, let people know. When I, when I generally write programs up for people and, and I take them through it, this is probably the, the question that's asked the most often is how much weight should I use? Yep. Now, if they're a beginner, um, I tell them it's going to take two or three weeks probably for them to determine that weight. They want to be able to get to that when they first start, if we've gone for that 10 reps, they want to be able to complete those 10 reps. Yep. Perfectly. Yep. You know, we don't want them in a position where the technique starts going out the window and their mm. arms are failing around and mm. flopping around. So for the first week or so, it needs to be out. In my opinion, needs to be done so the movement is 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 perfect. Yep. And almost not even poss- possibly even. You know, we've talked about before about that 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 overload, but not even necessarily overloading them that yeah. much that they're too discomfortable yeah. to discomfort. The discomfort that comes the next day, that's cool. Yeah. But we don't want them walking out of the gym on their very first day going, Oh man, that was that was really ridiculously hard. So the whole outcome really of our first maybe, you know, four or five sessions is to get in and get out without hurting ourselves. It's technique. It's technique, and <laughs> to get confident, you yeah. know, to, to learn the equipment to know what a dumbbell and a barbell is. Absolutely. Um, do you recommend people um, utilise pin-loaded machines and things when uh, they start or, look, or, or not really? I'm not, no, I'm actually... Um, I don't I'm, like them either. No, I, I don't believe, believe so. I utilise a broomstick. Yeah. You know, utilise a... You know, utilise a can of baked beans. Yeah. You know, because the reality is when we're moving stuff... What the fuck am I doing with a can of baked beans, mate? <laughs> well, there's lots of things you can do with a can of baked Jeez. beans. But, you know, a can of baked beans is going gonna, is gonna to weigh, you know, three or four hundred grams. Yeah, of course. Yeah, opposed to, you know, opposed to putting your, put, your jumping on a machine, pin loaded machine, yep. you have no control over the direction of the movement. You, yep. ha- you are stuck in a, in a plane of movement. Yep. That's not going to get um, the, the muscles, the, the supporting muscles of the area that you're trying to work to... To, to do their job, yep. you're just pushing. Yep. And anyone can just get on and push. You're not getting mind-muscle connection. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing we want to do is we, we're, we're trying to you know, increase proprioceptiveness of... of um, so stabilisation. 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 So, yep, so pr- you know, talking about proprioceptiveness, that's sort of knowing where, you, where your hand is. I think you know, for the official, I'm winding things back. I think it's space and time. So yeah. you know, being able to put your, dump, put your hand directly above your head with a, with a load yeah. and know the, exactly where that hand is. Yes. Um, you're sort of sitting here, I'm sitting in the office, put my hand above my head <laughs> looking at um, but you know if you're doing that on a machine you got you, you're not training those, those those things which are really important again for 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 the general populations and, and, and functional movement. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would rather get someone um, with a, um, a broomstick pushing that above the head when we're standing doing a, a, an overhead press. Yes. Um, now, some of you actually mentioned about, you know, doing a standing overhead press. The first thing that people do is when they when they walk into the gym and they're learning new exercise, they quite often they sit themselves on their ass. Mm. So they're doing a, a sh- an overhead press sitting. sitting. Yeah. So we're taking out half the body to that that could benefit from standing and mm. doing exactly the same thing because we're going to increase you know, we're going to turn the, the, the function on and the and the core we're going to yep. have to use you know the glutes are going to be recruited the legs yep. are going to be recruited so the whole body gets recruited mm. so uh, again when when we when we're doing when we're training especially for functionality um, for general populations we want as much muscle as we can to 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 be working through the movement. And this is where the proprioception takes place, right? Through the hips, through the knees, through Absolutely. the ankles. And, um, you know, like we all know it to be true. If you do a, a seated uh, military press versus yep. a standing military press, the seated's always harder. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yep. So for these people straight away whose shoulders are generally always their weakest body part other than their arms, yep. you know, sitting these people down and doing a, uh, you know, a, bro- a broomstick military press is going to be more difficult for them and, and less viable than if yep. they stand anyway. Yep. Yep. And actually, one of the things that a lot of people do is when they when they do an exercise and, and the standing, the overhead press is a perfect example, oh, I've got a bit of a back issue. So they want to sit mm. down because they think mm. they're going to take off. Now, the, the, the vertebral pressure 
in a seated position is great, much greater than a, in a standing position because our yep. body has been designed to stand up. Yep. That's how it's put together. Yep. So by actually getting people on their feet to do some of these exercises, which are often done seated, yep. you're actually, again, we're, 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 we're killing another, you know, getting another bird with a, with a, with a single stone, yep. you know. Yep. We're yep. actually getting those muscles around the, that back, around those hips, around those bad knees yep. stronger. So first four or five sessions, get in there, go through the motions, get confident, get to know the equipment, you know, get to know your time and your space, let yep. that appropriate. All these things that people aren't thinking about, but all these kind of, you know, uh, omnidirectional and stabilizing of joints and, and, you know, other things too, like l- uh, ligaments and tendons, you know, yep. like they've got to get used to load, right? Absolutely. So the whole idea is getting in, not getting yourself hurt, getting yourself confident, getting yourself, um, uh, you know, aware of the environment. And from there, then we can start to build where people are coming in, they're more confident, they're more happy, a couple of faces they've seen beforehand, they're feeling a bit more sort of less out of sorts, I yep. should say. Now we can start moving into the warm-ups. We can move through them quite quickly because we've had, you know, maybe four or five sessions of doing them. And now we can start to work out what that starting weight should be. Yep. Yeah? Yep, absolutely. So, and so if we're working with 10 reps just to make it easy for the average punter who's starting off or someone who's getting back into the gym after you said like a, a you know, lengthy time out of it, um, 10 should be the point where it becomes difficult but not impossible to perform extra reps on top of that but they should also be able to get to 10 without having to either a fail or b change their form correct yeah that's the whole idea yeah am i I saying everything you should say absolutely (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys we're meant to be hearing from mike and i i can't help myself now i'm getting now i'm going off your energy so yeah so that's the whole idea guys and that's you know a really really important thing to realize that that, that first month really it's it's not going to be fun it'll be you know i find women walking in there too like just not comfortable in what they're wearing do you know what i mean yeah, so yeah, yeah there's a lot to consider before we actually get to the point of lifting look we have a lot of people that come into into the gym environment that it, this is foreign for them yeah i mean you know i can walk into a gym anywhere in the world and I feel comfortable yeah um but for a lot of people this is really uncomfortable this is going to be really uncomfortable yeah okay if i was to turn around and walk into a ballroom dancing class mm-hmm. for me that is going to be very very uncomfortable yeah and the, you know you just have to allow yourself to go through that, that period that, that, that mental, mental adaptation of going okay mm. i'm about to learn something new yep. um the people that have been here um for the last two years are more than likely going to be second know, home to them yeah and and that you know the likelihood is they're going to help you out so yep. that's another thing to consider that i you know, the people that are that are in the gym that it look like they know what they're doing are probably more than happy to point you in the, in the right direction if you get really stuck. I'm glad you said that because I find so many people, particularly women, have a difficult time, I guess, in that environment where it is quite alpha male. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you know, and the girls that are in there are generally in reasonably good nick and they have a difficult time, I guess, you know, looking for direction or a bit of yep. leadership from them. But most of the time, guys, they're the nicest people in the world, aren't they? Do you oh, know? And, absolutely. Look, I, I work in a, I work in an environment which is a is, is a very predominantly strength strength gym. We have a lot of powerlifters, a lot of strong men, a lot of bodybuilders, a lot of you know that type of thing. Predominantly women, yeah, um, really, and, and a lot of these. But we don't. We we have a very uh, uh, there's a big lack of Lorna Jane in our gym. That's for sure. So <laughs> that's a, that's a good place. And, and you know, as yeah. much as it's a little bit old school, you know, it, it's a place that, that that people can feel comfortable. And so when you go into that gym, you know, by, by all means, put your hand up. Yeah, yeah. Put your hand up if, yep. you, if you get stuck. Yep. Yeah, I like it, mate. It's good advice. Um, what's your um, What's your focus or your nutritional suggestions around eating? I don't want to talk about food and macros and stuff just yet. More around, you know, fasted versus fed states for people. So yep. people are starting to train, um, you know, 
should I eat before I go? Should I not eat before I go? Should I train in the morning or the afternoons? What's your, you know, general consensus on like when to train and what people should have done, you know, before they train as far as food goes? Yeah. Okay, and there's, a, there's so much out there. There's so much information about, you know, as you said, training faster, train, you know, yep. um, preloading food. So we, you have a big feed before you train, post, you know, um, Nutrition, so yep. what you eat afterwards. I think for the big, the big part of it is you've got to be quite comfortable with whatever you choose. Myself, I, I could have a huge big feed 30 minutes before I go into the gym and then knock out a big leg workout and I feel fantastic. I yep. can't go into the gym when I'm hungry, yep. so I personally am not particularly good at training first thing in the morning yep. because I do not like to go into the gym faster and, yep. tra- and, and train. I will if I have to, mm. but it's not something Do you that find you weaker? I just can't help but think about breakfast, to be honest. <laughs> So, that's the bodybuilder coming out of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, no, I just, I just I, if, if I'm slightly hungry, uh, I, I don't focus. That's, that's case in point for my question. You know, I think that when it comes to when should I train, it's when it's best for you. Do you yeah, know? absolutely. Look, we're, again, we're talking general populations. Yep. So we're not talking about getting the absolute ultimate performance out of someone who's going to be going to the Olympics and doing, you know, doing whatever they're going to be doing. We know that they, we ha- they have to eat this much food or eat like this before they go out yeah. and train. We're talking about general population. So as long as over the course of the day that we hit um, the right amount of food that we we require, yes. I wouldn't get too wrapped up in it. Yep. One of the things I, I, I I'm a big believer of though is um, is, is just keeping whole keeping whole foods. I yep. don't like processed foods. Yep. Um, Nor should you. No. And um, and when we when we when we're sort of looking at you know how should I eat to try and do it like your training we have a we have a plan mm-hmm. we do things in a certain certain fashion mm-hmm. certain order um, try and do that with your nutrition as well so so give us an example give us an example of a whole food diet you know for yourself or a client of yours what would it look like typically okay, okay. again so many different ways of looking at things but yep. personally for myself if I'm in a um, if I'm in a in a phase where I'm trying to be a little bit leaner I tend to go for a, a higher fat diet. Um, with a with a with a very controlled carbohydrate um, and and carbohydrate timed. Yes. So I tend to have my almost <clears> my carbs around training. Now whether yep. that be be before training, whether that be be after training, but that's where my carbohydrates will, yep. will lie. Yep. The rest of the time, it's a you know it's got it's got You'll my protein. Them. Yep, yep. Yep. It's my protein and fat. So good quality fats. So using nuts, lots of avocado, um, good oils and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my protein source. Yep. Um, and then, which would be what all your animal products and predominantly yep. for me, predominantly yep. for me. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I, I would like to try yeah. and cut chicken, back. beef, fish, all yep. that stuff. Yeah, we want to hear a question: vegetarian versus meat eating. But, no, but no. yeah, proteins. But otherwise, yep. yeah, it could be tofu, it could be lentils, it could be chickpeas, it could be black eyed beans, it could yep. be any of that stuff. Yeah, yep. so yeah, absolutely, we're looking at yeah, good combinations of proteins yep. with you know um, high levels of fat. High so you're having fats, good uh, fats. you know like meats with avocados, you're cooking up in olive oil or coconut oil coconut or something oil. like that. Yep. A lot of macadamia oil. nuts, yep. seeds, yep. and then because you're trying to control your carbohydrate with the high level of fat, you're going more for like you know your, your steamed veggies and you know these sorts Correct. of things. Yeah, Correct. yeah, cool. yep. Yep. yep, and, yep. and nice. I said that carbohydrate around training time. So uh, it's something that's a little bit more of a complex carbohydrate, and also yep. a bit of a simple carbohydrate, which I'd like to generally get from from fruit. Yeah, good. That, that's the way I the way I operate. Yeah. Um, if I'm in a in a period where I'm trying to put on a little bit more weight, I actually let more carbohydrate come into the diet. So um, I'll go. I'll revert back to my good old you know oats for breakfast yeah. and, 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 and protein and yeah, so with, with protein. the effect of potentiating insulin and yeah, boosting your calories yep, yep. so my proteins are always going to feature in every meal yeah okay so yep. I'd never have a meal that doesn't contain protein yes yeah cool yeah. excellent yep. now guys I think you know when it comes to nutrition quite vital to understand that 
for all intents and purposes, we're actually trying to articulate and influence certain gene expression and, and hormonal release. So I need you to understand that. So when we're looking at food, there's no guesswork involved. And I'm going to help you to, to you know, have a couple of little um, uh, head starts here, and I'm happy to help people further. But we need to go over a little bit of, uh, of muscle cell physiology and, and get a little bit of an idea of what we're trying to both activate and suppress because the training process puts us into this muscle um, protein breakdown that I spoke about before. So we've actually traumatized the muscle. We've, we've caused exactly what we wanted to. The body is, as you know, um, as a result of that, um, formed inflammatory processes um, to, to deal with this and boosted hormones like cortisol to downregulate this inflammation and take the body into a state where it can start to repair. But the, the repair doesn't just happen by default. So there's a few things to remember here. When we're in a training state, okay, so this would be really whether or not you're far in, in a fasting training state, you can guarantee it. But when you're training, the body is going through basic um, depletions in energy reserves, okay? So, you know, particularly in, in an anaerobic environment like this with uh, resistance exercise, the body is primarily using the ATP, creatine phosphate cycle I told you about. You won't use that the whole time because we will get to a point where that ATP can no longer be saturated again because our creatine phosphate stores do decline. And so the body, you know, for want of a better way to describe it, it's scavenging for energy, okay? So if you've loaded up on a whole bunch of carbohydrates and fats before you've trained, well, you know, your energy more than likely is higher. If you've carb-loaded for a few days beforehand and you know, as a result of the um, increased carbohydrate ingestion, the body has converted some of that, uh, a little bit technical here, but converted some of that to a thing called glycogen, which is an energy reserve that the body will hold in the skeletal tissue and in the liver. The body can go through a process where it can, you know, um, scavenge all this down and break it all down into um, basic energy. So what we're looking at doing during this process is making sure, particularly in growing muscle, we need to be in a, you know, a slightly caloric positive state, you know, so we, we don't want to be on that, you know, that Weight Watcher 1200 calorie diet type thing trying to lose weight, weight while putting muscle on. Okay, I need you to hear that because it's really, really important because in that position, you can understand the body's been given the trauma and due to the trauma, it will do what it needs to now in order to recover that trauma tissue. So if that means having to um, take amino acid reserves from existing muscle, you know, big muscles, particularly like glutes and quads and hamstrings and things, and pretty much just recycling that for repairing the tissue you've traumatized, that's what it will do, okay? So we can't be in an anabolic state in a low caloric environment. So I need you to understand that. So we need to make sure that particularly, even if you're just using a bracketing method, um, like Mike was talking about beforehand, where there'll be an increase in, um, in both total caloric intake and particularly carbohydrate around training, this becomes very, very important for taking your body from a muscle protein breakdown state, which the exercise has placed upon you, into a muscle protein synthesis state. So basically what's happening now due to the training is we've got this dicky situation now where the body is kind of sitting on this net protein reserve where we're breaking down tissue more than we're capable and able to remodel it okay and so basically here this is where nutrition is able to aid this and certain supplemental protocols are able to aid this and so when the body's going into a net energy reserve and we're no longer able to actually maintain this rate of ATP synthesis that the cells requiring 
requiring to actually lift the weight and to do that load. Um, we get a, a whole bunch of different cascading hormones and one of them is called AMPK. And AMPK is essentially a sensor for low energy states. Okay, And so what it does is it will basically dictate the fact now that we're in a low energy state and we're training and we, we need to address this. And so it does a couple of things. The first thing it does is probably what everyone would think would be amazing and it will start to upregulate glucose, it'll increase insulin sensitivity, it'll start to increase free fatty acid oxidation so it'll literally break your fat down in order to um, you know, aid this energy um, potentiation and in doing so um, you know, we'll lean a lot of people out. So when we go on fast, even intermittent fast, when we don't eat for periods of time, <clears throat> we will always get a release of AMPK and AMPK will do that job, Okay, which sounds amazing. The problem with AMPK, however, is that while it's doing this amazing thing as far as using you know, excessive um, stores of fats and, and blood glucose, it's basically trying to uh, increase and harbour more glycogen. So low glycogen state means high AMPK. <clears throat> Excuse me. The negative that's starting to occur now is it actually has a uh, negative effect on protein synthesis. So without um, throwing too much science on you, one of the, the pretty much the main pathway for um, the transcriptase messengers for protein synthesis or, or the generation of new skeletal tissue is through what we call mTOR, which is the mammalian target of rapamycin. And mTOR is the the prime pathway which will increase skeletal muscle uh, growth. Okay. Now the problem we have here is is that after training we've got high AMPK, and while AMPK is doing this good thing of using your body fat and upregulating blood glucose stores, it's also completely suppressing mTOR. So now we find ourselves in a state where we've just trained, which is good. We're burning fat, we're burning blood glucose for energy, we're, we're even burning some amino acids if need be um, under the influence of AMPK. But now it is impossible for us to actually move into a muscle protein synthesis state. So we actually continue this downregulation of muscle because of the trauma and this will go on and on and on. One of the main mistakes I find with people in general population is they'll go and train thinking they're doing the right thing for themselves. They'll finish, they'll go and meet a mate at a cafe and have a coffee and then they won't eat for four or five hours. And this is extremely problematic because this whole um, process will go on for really up to 48 hours of degradation. And you've only really got a, a relatively narrow window um, now, this is moving on to a subject we call nutrient timing, and nutrient timing has been um, partially ruled out. It's, it's more important what we get in the course of an overall day than it is what we get just in the window following exercise. However, in that window following exercise, we are able to potentiate two prime things. Those things is we can actually suppress AMPK and we can increase our mTOR, which means that we can put our body into a state where it wants to increase its rate of repair and grow more muscle, which is what we're obviously trying to um, trying to achieve here. So there's a few things that need to happen. Um, first thing is eat, okay? So eating is really important. Even if you don't get it perfect, um, pretty much every study I've ever seen on this subject will show that all these things are, are you know, mTOR is completely negated um, in fasting states. And so it's really, really important that we, that we eat. And like Mike said and was drawing reference to, you know, he'll eat like a protein and a carbohydrate in and around training and, and, and that aids him. Now, 
Protein is really, really important here because protein or amino acids, which create protein strands, are the, the prime mechanism by which we increase this mTOR upregulation. Okay? And we start to move our body in this state where you know, generating new muscle fiber and recruiting more muscle fibers becomes a possible process. And so this does happen with amino acids, particularly the essential amino acids, of which there are you know, eight or nine, depends on who you talk to, um, glutamine is a, a conditionally essential amino acid that our body can't manufacture itself. So um, this is where eating foods that are high in essential amino acids become important. Now, as far as studies go, this is where, you know, as an example, whey protein becomes a really viable source, particularly whey protein concentrate because of how quickly it's absorbed. But whey protein becomes a really good process here because a you know, 20 gram serve of whey protein, no more, believe it or not, will um, induce a round 10 gram net effect of essential amino acids. Now of those essential amino acids, we have three of them which are we, we call the branch chain amino acids. And one of them, leucine, is the key the, the key single, and pretty much from all studies I've seen, unless people can prove me wrong, of course, leucine is the thing which completely upregulates mTOR. And there, there is an exception here. So whether you have 20 grams of whey protein isolate or whey protein concentrate, even whey isolates will be a better choice. So if you have 20 grams of whey isolate following training or 60 grams of whey protein isolate follow training, it makes fuck all difference okay so basically the body will use that you know those 10 grams of um, EAAs or around about the three three and a half to four and a half grams of leucine to elicit this mTOR response and the rest of the protein is simply oxidized so the days of having to look at you know um, you know this much protein per gram or whatever is it's 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 kind of out the window and the only the only thing I will say though in relation to this is that Studies have shown that the only population affected negatively by this are the elderly. So if you're someone in your, I'm going to say 65 or above, without upsetting people uh, who are 65 and don't consider themselves elderly, but I'd say that's probably a good place to start. Studies have shown that um, the 20-25 grams of whey protein isn't enough to actually increase mTOR. These people start to have increases in insulin sensitivity issues and they have dramas with um, what we call satellite cells, which actually switch on this process, and they need more. So these people um, do much better around 40 grams of whey protein so post-training we're going to be looking at you know throwing in an essential amino acid a branch chain amino acid just to get that leucine um, or uh, making sure that you're getting the 40 grams of whey protein if you're a person over 65 years of age now of other notable interests here um, the glutamine that I spoke about beforehand now if you're using an EAA that'll probably have glutamine in it but if you're using uh, like a branch chain or a straight leucine I would also recommend throwing in some glutamine and glutamine at, you know at around the sort of I'd say around 10 gram mark you can have less but it, you know more seems to be better glutamine does two cool things the first thing it does is is it actually increases our um, our synthesis of glycogen which is good so when our glycogen levels come up that AMPK leaves us alone and the other thing that glutamine does is it also is a partial stimulator of mTOR. So once again, taking us from this catabolic muscle protein breakdown state that we purposely induced 
with the resistance exercise, now moving into a net protein synthesis state where the body says, great, we've done that. We've shot Mike in the head. <laughs> it's, it's all done. Now it's time to actually go through this state of repair. Okay, so... Did I just scare everyone with all that, Mike, or did that sound wrong? I'm scared succinct? by the shooting me in the head. Yeah. <laughs> You've said that twice now. I'm... Was was that succinct enough, do you think? Or yeah. 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 So basically we're we're trying to orchestrate a hormonal which happened just through the lifting and a cell signaling process here through the timing of food. So what we eat, when we eat and what type of thing we eat becomes important. And looking at, you know, I, I, I used whey protein as an example, whey isolate as an example. If you look at like proteins uh, generally, um, people might say, well, you know, can I have like a soy protein or a rice protein or some sort of vegan based protein? Yeah, and you can for sure. But basically, um, there's a few issues. Number one, they don't have the same amino acid composition. They don't have the same rate of branch chains. And as a result of that, in studies, they don't have the same stimulation of mTOR. So if you are a vegan and you are using vegan-based proteins, good for you. Um, that's no problem whatsoever, but you may like to look at actually using a branch chain amino acid as well after training, just to boost that leucine that you're not getting through your, uh, your other foods. So when we're looking now at, at muscle protein synthesis over over the course of a day, okay, we're looking here at the need to actually increase um, skeletal tissue um, uh, synthesis, okay, so it's very important you realize that the whole body protein synthesis and the synthesis of skeletal muscle is a very different thing, and, and certainly up until recent years, the way we looked at the need for protein was based on a thing called nitrogen retention. Now, when you look at protein, carbs, and fat, they're all combinations of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Protein, however, has a nitrogen donor that sits on the end, which is fantastic, um, but basically what happens is when we're looking at a, at, a, at a positive nitrogen balance, that means that the amount of nitrogen that we're ingesting through protein food ingestion versus the net loss through urine, feces, sweat, hair, skin, all the other places that nitrogen is excreted is in a positive state. So we're bringing in more than we're losing through losses. Now, some will argue... Um, and they will be wrong, but some will argue that you know uh, the average man or woman only need you know, 60 grams of protein a day or 70 grams of protein a day. And you know research has certainly shown that you know that might be okay for whole body protein synthesis, but when it comes to skeletal tissue protein synthesis, um, the nitrogen retention rate sort of goes out the window. So you need to be looking at really no less than, and studies will go up to, I'd say no less than sort of 1.6 to 1.8 grams of protein per body kilo, which means you simply get a calculator, put in your current weight in kilos, multiply it by 1.6, 1 1.8. Uh, I'm more a 1.8 to 2.2 sort of person myself. Uh, and for people like Mike um, that are pushing the agenda, uh, you know, you're looking at more like two and a half to three grams of protein just because of, once again, the mass accrual of, of protein that's required here with the amount of load they're putting their body under. So, you know, you, you need to make sure that over the course of a day, taking branch chains, leucine, uh, essential amino acids and whey protein isolate out of the equation, you need to make sure that over the course of a day that you're getting, you know, around that sort of, you know, 1.8 grams of protein per body kilo 
in the total day. Now, you can jump online to, you know, fatsecrets.com, calorycounter.com. There's a million of them. You know, pay, uh, I was going to say PayPal. What's, <laughs> what's that other one? Uh, fitness Pal. Fitness, my Fitness, fitness Pal. My fitness that's pal. It. Yeah, 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 not PayPal. You can send me some cash <laughs> if you like. But, uh, yeah, you, you can jump on there and, and type in, like, your whole day, guys, and it'll show you exactly, you know, what you're eating a day, how many calories it is, and it'll also show you what the nutritional breakdown of that day is, breaking it down into protein, carbs, and fat. So, you know, once you've done that, you need to make make sure that the total amount of protein across the course of the day is where that needs to be on that calculatable event that you've just done. Okay, so these are sort of just getting to some of those minimums now. So we want that half an hour to 45 in the gym. We want that two to three days a week. We want the push-pull protocol where we're doing big functional movements, where we're recruiting big muscle groups. We're putting the body under maximum tension and load. We want to make sure that that concentric and eccentric phase is making sure the body's under load. We're building strength and we're, in, we're inducing that muscle protein breakdown and then we're wanting through food to make sure that we are taking ourselves away from that muscle protein breakdown and onto that muscle protein synthesis state now where carbohydrates become important here as Mike was saying beforehand, is carbohydrates evoke an insulin response. Okay, so we eat carbohydrate, the brain picks up, we've got blood sugar in our bloodstream, depending on whether that was a, you know, a low or high glycemic carbohydrate, it'll either give it to you now or give it to you in a few hours. But the effect is the same. And so essentially what happens here is our body will give the signal to our pancreas, the beta cells in our pancreas, to now start to produce insulin. Okay, now insulin is a hormone, so it just runs around scavenging, looking for blood glucose to drag inside the cell. Now, when this is happening, this is fantastic because it will also downregulate that AMPK um, protein kinase that I told you about beforehand. So that happens under the influence of carbohydrate. Remembering that AMPK is an energy sensor here looking for where a deficiency is taking place. So if I'm sipping um, um, carbohydrates during training, so Mike was saying before about pre and post workout nutrition. The the one he, he didn't name was intra workout, which is you know the, the new fad these days where people you know suck on maltodextrins or vitargos or waxy maize starches or things during um, during training. And this is more moving into the bodybuilding realm, but this does has does have an inhibitory action on AMPK and does make our body um, more likely to aid in that protein synthesis rate faster okay so carbohydrate after training becomes quite vital in the fact that a the body is in this catabolic state b it doesn't want nor need to be there and c we need to actually start to increase our caloric ingestion now to actually give the body the energy it needs to do the job and i need you to not to be scared of carbs guys because you know Look, I've I've utilised uh, ketogenic diets now for 17 years of my entire career. You know, extremely successfully. I'm a massive fan of of, uh, of ketosis, uh, which is essentially a high fat, you know, moderate protein and very low carbohydrate regime. But in cases of wanting to increase muscle growth, um, you know, can be done inside of ketosis. But my suggestion is that you follow more a, a prompt of what Mike's doing and get those carbs in post-workout becomes quite important. Now that postprandial, um, you know, um, um, blood glucose hit becomes quite important just to once again um, downregulate and upregulate the right gene expression here. So I, I hope that kind of isn't um, too difficult to understand, but I, I need you to understand that when we're actually inducing 
a, a nutritional state here. It's because of a physiological requirement. Okay, it's not, there's no guesswork here. We're not doing it because, you know, we're, we're a bit hungry. It's not like Mike thinking about breakfast in the morning. All right, it's actually because we've just trained the body's done things that have been very beneficial for the state we're trying to induce. However, now it's time to actually getting on with growing muscle. And, you know, you don't grow muscle in a gym, guys. And I've said this for my entire career. People think you can go to the gym and grow muscle. You don't grow muscle in a gym. No one's ever grown muscle in a gym. The gym is the catabolic environment where the muscle protein breakdown takes place so the rest of it can happen. But you will grow muscle when you rest. You will grow muscle when you sleep. You will grow muscle when you excite muscle excitation through appropriate nutrient timing, nutrient types, and you know um, overall good caloric um, ingestion so how do you work out your calories i guess this is going to be a big question lots of people will ask um now look there's plenty of you know you can jump online and work that out there's there's a whole bunch of uh, online free resources and tools and calculators that'll basically say to you that you know this is how many uh, calories you need per day based upon this energy expenditure based upon this body weight this age etc etc you know and, and within reference uh, i believe you can work with those relatively well um, to some degree however i will say that Whenever I do any diet um, intervention with people, I'm always monitoring that intervention um, quite significantly over about a three-week period. So I'm wanting to see how the body responds. And so we we need to understand here there's certain uh, metabolic processes and things here that we can't, um, even with educated guesses, can't can't know about everybody you know so when i'm working out caloric requirements for people like if i'm doing a diet for mike for instance very first thing i do is i sit down and i write down mike's current diet okay i then work out all the parameters mathematically that i need uh, based upon specific algorithms that would start to make sense as to where i think it should go for mike but more than anything i'm gonna let his body tell me you know metabolically where it's at and then based upon mike's needs of weight gain weight loss whatever i'll then base my opinion on what he's been doing to that point so if Mike shows me a 4,000 calorie diet that stabilized his weight for the last six months. Well, I know that <laughs> metabolically that, that's where it is. So I can either up or down that based upon what his requirements are. So I can pull calories off as many as I want to induce um, fatty acid oxidation and um, lose body fat, or I can increase that uh, in order to um, theoretically gain weight. It's a bit more complicated than that, but that'll give you a little bit of an idea. So with your diet right now, what should you do? Well, the first thing you should do is you get your macros right. So you make sure your protein is worked out, like I said, around about that 1.6 to 2 grams of protein per body kilo. You then multiply that by 4. That tells you how many calories of protein you're getting per day, and you take that off your daily total basically Uh, you can then split your uh, carbohydrates and your fats um, basically based upon what you're wanting so if you're like mike and you're after sort of more lean gains wanting to drop your body fat i'd probably base your uh, your body your your um, total caloric fat expenditure somewhere around intake sorry somewhere around probably 30 and 40 percent depending on the person um, I never go lower than 25. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't ever go lower than about 30, but you know, um, you can take that fat really anywhere from 30 to probably 45%. And then the the carbohydrate is basically the leftover. It's the net effect from 100%. So I work out how many calories I'm getting from protein, how many desired calories I now want from fat, and then the carbohydrate becomes the end game that fills in that 100% um, caloric intake. And you know, if you're once again still after lean gains, you can do what Mike's doing. Try to make the bulk of your meals up with more, you know, moderate protein and higher fat foods, which will happen if you follow that kind of a caloric protocol. And then the carbohydrates that you do get, rather than splitting them over four, five, or six meals, you. You can you know do what Mike does and split them over two meals. You know half in the meal, 
what would you say, Mike? What, two, two and a half hours before yeah, you yeah, train? Two and a half hours before you yeah, train. And then, you know, half in the meal after you train. Now, Great. in the meal after you train, if you want to get real tricky with it, um, you might choose to split that over different sources. So you might go, okay, well, I need, you know, 85 grams or 150 grams of carbs or whatever. You might split half of that into a high glycemic source, you know, like a, you know, a glucose polymer or something like a maltodextrin. Um, so you can, you know, increase that, um, that insulin response rate you're after. Insulin doesn't do a lot, well, it doesn't really do anything for muscle protein synthesis, but it does everything for muscle protein breakdown, guys. So once again, that's the, the, the key benefit of carbohydrates after training is basically turning that off, okay? It just, it triggers the end of that and now triggers the beginning of that growth cycle. So some people will like to um, split their carbs in half where they'll go half high glycemic like that or some people will even you know, have like white bread and things not not my pick right. but um, you know if you're going to eat white bread it's probably the best time to have it if you're going to have white rice post training is the best time to have it there's no two way about it and then the other half of that would be more what Mike was talking about before more a whole grain you know or more a whole food I should say so that's when they'll look towards you know the veggies the, the, the sweet potatoes the potatoes the you know the quinoas the brown or basmati rices this type of thing which will have more of a, a stable effect on your blood sugar it'll bring it down um well because unfortunately after a big high glycemic hit after training you will get the postprandial dip where it'll drop quite fast and leave you quite flat so uh, they'd be my my basic suggestions at this point um around diet for you um building on what mike was saying so um I hope that's been of uh, of good use. Now, Mike, getting away from training, getting away from diet and supplementation for a moment, um, what are the other important characteristics, you know, sleep, rest, um, stress minimization that you would recommend for people who are once again wanting to get their body into an anabolic state? Oh, look, absolutely. You, 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 you just won't grow, you won't grow, you won't get stronger, you won't move forward if you're not resting. Yep. Um, so one of the, the common... I suppose complaints we have with a lot of people, especially in a busy lifestyle that people are living these days, is just not getting enough sleep. Yeah. So, whatever you need to do to try and um, and try and regulate that sleep again, like anything, like we, we we're structured with our training, we're structured with our new, you know with our nutrition. Mm. We need to be structured with our rest. Mm. Okay. So if you if you're just constantly chasing your tail, then that's it's just not you know it's not going to work. Okay. Yep. And as you mentioned before, you you we we grow, we get stronger, we repair muscle. While we're resting, yep. after training, once we've eaten well, when yep. we're when we're asleep, yeah. So I think that that's you know looking if we go a bit more holistic, looking at whatever um, protocols you need to employ to to help get you to rest, whether that be um, you know neglect you know ne- um, taking out and and, and removing um, computers, no computers, yep, yep. computers, your, your your smartphones, all that sort of stuff before you go, to, you know, well and truly before you go to bed, yep. you know, not watching TV. Those types of things. So turn the TV. Don't watch TV right up until you want to go to bed. Turn the TV off twenty minutes before you want to go to bed. Yeah. Um, whether you whether you bring in meditation um, as a as a form of being able to relax. Yeah. So I think that's really really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is you know, essentially what we're inducing here is the parasympathetic nervous system. So you know during training and during the day when you know shit's going on and we're trying to get to the bank and pick kids up from school or you know whatever whatever we're doing in our life, uh, you know this is that uh, this is that sympathetic phase of our nervous system arm where the body is basically on and it's going 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 but unfortunately when we have too much sympathetic activity um, 
ongoing and the body's in this prolonged high-stress state, this also results in elevated levels of stress hormones such as cortisol, yep. which is an anti-catabolic hormone. Okay, so it will do everything it can to break muscle down. So, you know, it's not about being, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to for a moment let you guys think that this is about putting yourself in a bubble, lifting weights, you know, eating the right sorts of food, supplementing with branch chains after training and, and not living a normal life, but it's about realising that there are things you can do to actually activate the opposite. And the, the opposite of that phase is parasympathetic, which is the rest and digest phase. So, you know, so it's where the body will actually go into that stage where it will want to break down food from dinner or want to, you know, accrue nutrients from the gastrointestinal tract that it's been breaking down. It'll want to, you know, shut the, um, you know, um, pupil dilation down, you know, reduce your um, reduce your heart rate, you know, and, and let, put the body into a state where it's capable of sleeping. And yes, you can induce these things with, with, you know, reading. You can induce these things with meditation. You can induce these things with deep breathing. You can induce these things with darkness, you know. So uh, it's really important that you tell your body that it's time to rest and that you tell your body that it's time to sleep and just through um, default of eating appropriately and making sure that those training sessions are where they need to be and you're being reliable and regular with them you will see results i can assure you that you know you you would agree absolutely yeah we're not blowing smoke up your ass you you will see results but in saying so, if you come home to a, a stressful household, if you come home to a you know a bad marriage, if you come home to you know a, a, a household with people that are screaming and people aren't, I guess, respecting the environment that needs to be conducive to all, if home is stressful for you, you might have other things you need to uh, maybe look at before you worry about embarking on uh, your new muscle discovery. But that stuff becomes like super important. And what I want to say too, guys, I didn't touch on this in uh, episode one or nor today, but the the long term net effect of more skeletal tissue is is bigger than you think because your skeletal muscle becomes ultimately the the prime reservoir for amino acids okay so it's where the body sticks these amino acids and maintains them so when those amino acids are necessary or called upon so you know if you get stuck out in the blue mountains for a week the person with more muscle lives longer <laughs> it's it's just how it works because the body can you know through a process called gluconeogenesis it will actually break those amino acids down and turn them into blood sugar, keeping you alive, keeping brain function maintained, keeping, you know, cells charged. And this is where that, you know, becomes an important thing. If you get sick, if you get something like cancer, okay, or you get something significant like that, people don't die of cancer. You know, people die of the, you know, the the uh, the processes around it. They, they, you know, when the body degrades, it can no longer fight for itself and the factors of, of angiogenesis take take over and the body can no longer win this war and once again if you've got high levels of skeletal tissue you're in the fight longer do you know so even if you're having chemo and radiation and stuff i'd rather be able to maintain good loads of that stuff and get flogged hard by the oncologist and, and and have a better chance of recovery rather than going in there with no skeletal tissue which and the reason for this is it's immunity muscle is immunity okay muscle isn't just you know metabolically active tissue that gets you lean muscle maintains strong immune system that's just the way it goes so when it comes time to be called on at any phase of your life you want it there okay but look i don't want to overwhelm any more guys uh, i really hope you've taken something from uh, this two-part process. Um, 
as always, more than happy to um, you know do more on certain segments of this if you guys have found it informative. If you want more from Mike, you know where can people find you, Mike? Tell, can, tell us your name and stuff yeah, on okay. Facebook. So, and that. Um, on Facebook, obviously, um, just the um, IFBB Pro Mike Dibbenham. IFBB, yep. yep. So capital yep. I, capital F, capital B, B, capital B. Yep. You'll find him with that. IFBB yep. Pro yep. Mike Dibbenham. Yep. yep. Uh, website, which is just www.mikedibbenham.com.au. Um, uh, Spelled Debenham for people. Deb Debenham, D E B E N H A M, just like the big fancy store in London. Yeah, beautiful. Nice. No relatives, <laughs> no, no relation, unfortunately. Uh, um, or, or on on face, uh, sorry, Instagram. And what are you on Instagram? Uh, I am IFBB Pro Mike D. Yeah, good. And yeah. listen, guys, guys, super approachable. Um, you know, I could have chosen from any number of bodybuilders that I know uh, to come on and, uh, and help us out with this topic. But, you know, I like Mike. He's been in the game a very long time. Uh, he's got a little bit of a different slant on things based upon the fact that he has dove, has such significant experience. And, uh, and yeah, he's a gentle soul. And I know that he's uh, more than happy to, uh, to share his work and to aid you guys if you are caught. But like I said, jump on to thetravellingwellnessshow.com. Make sure you have a look at those uh, push-pull exercises. We don't want you leaving in the dark. Um, so you can jump on and see what we're talking about. Um, I'll make notes on there too about that time and attention for you guys so you've got an idea about what that eccentric and concentric phase should look like. And I'll also put notes on the site there about the uh, key supplementation and nutrient timing that I discussed beforehand in relation to protein synthesis activation. So I think, guys, look, that's you know really we've probably gone relatively in depth, I'd say, for general population. But um, you know, if anyone is confused, just reach out. Um, you'll find me obviously on Facebook as well and Instagram. Um, on email Shannon at shannonbrenton.com. Uh, I'm super uh, good with my time and, and always happy to um, pass on what I know to help people out. Um, I'm also available for comp for consultations. So if people are in a point where they kind of just want it done for them, they want the programming done, they want the food done. I can also make that happen as well, guys, as can Mike. So feel free to uh, reach out with uh, with either either one of us. But look, all the best, guys, on your journey. Um, you know, I, I guess my my thing I want to leave with is that skeletal muscle is no joke. Um, you know, I know everyone's had a um, you know everyone has an opinion around muscle based upon um, how they see others portray it. You know, and I, I completely get that. But um, the reason why I did this on general pop and rather than trying to aim this at 16-year-olds that want to get big is just because literally gaining more muscle will make your life better. Uh, it'll increase your energy levels and one day it possibly could save your life and that's no joke. Um, thanks, Mike, for coming on the show. It's been really good, but I know I've kind of overshadowed you a little bit today just to go over some of that more more technical stuff. No, I but um, you look better anyway. You look hey, more yeah, awake now. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, look, I'm, I come think from things with a different angle. I'm sort of keep it keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, so yeah. you know, you're you're the sort of you know you've got that 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 bit more technical, bit more technical. Um, I'm your basic. Yeah. You bread, you, you know, you meat, meat and veg. You know what I like, though. <laughs> in all seriousness, like I, I really like to dumb down subjects like today without sort of giving what I consider um, enough reason to make someone want to do it. But what, what I love about skeletal muscle accumulation, and, and I said it beforehand, is 
it's quite basic, you know. It is. It, it comes down obviously to good programming, which isn't basic. Okay, so you know, there's certainly a place in the world for PTs and you know EPs and physios and the like. And you know, these people obviously have uh, a lot more um, key information on these things than you're going to get just from the bloke at the gym per se. However, um, what you will find though is it's just the process of doing that pays the dividend. Do you know? So put the muscle under load, rest and feed it. It's a pretty simple philosophy, simple. isn't it? Yep. Put it under load, rest and feed it. And put it under load properly. Don't try to cheat the movements. Don't try to make the movement more comfortable than you'd like it to be. You know, um, I ask people regularly, I say, you know, is, is that uncomfortable? And if they say yes, I know they're, <laughs> they're doing it right. Do you know what I mean? I also find people, though, I've got to say this, I find people who uh, will come to me for um, professional advice in clinic and will really not be doing well. Might have been training for 12 months, um, haven't put on size, quite hard gainers. Um, I'm extremely aware as to what the underlying um, gene expression issues are for these people because there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of research on that. And so these people are, are repairable like anyone else. But what I find with these people a lot of the time is there's a lot of overkill. It's almost like there's an anxiety attached to it. You know, they're, um, they're eating, you know, two and a half to three and a half thousand calories a day. Not clean, I might add. Um, but, you know, they're, they're getting the calories in thinking it's enough. And, and I'll just say on that note, you know, having a two-piece food at KFC, just because it might be 650 or 700 calories, doesn't mean it's good, okay? So the clean food is really important here for maintaining the hormonal profile, you know? And just talking about protein synthesis beforehand, um, interestingly, on that point, you know, I, I didn't talk about fat at all today, Um really other than just you know how many calories you should get as far as, as diet goes with fat. But there's a lot of evidence on the fact that the essential fatty acid from fish oil uh, increases muscle protein synthesis. And it does that, once again, by direct effect on mTOR. So you know this is where making sure that clean eating is vital. You're not getting a cosapenoic acid and like the other you know cofactors in you know your essential fatty acid. You're not getting them from KFC. You're not getting them from a fucking Macca's burger. You don't get that shit. And the minute you try to fill your calories up with takeaway shit, you completely lose control over what's in that meal. You don't know what they're cooking with, what oils they're using, when they last change their oils. You don't know, like Macca's salting their chips and, you know, blood coagulants in beef patties and you just don't know what you're eating, guys. So when Mike talks about clean eating, that's for life. You know, that's not just for grain of muscle. Yeah, the, 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 dirty, the dirty bulking is, is, is a long, long gone. It's dead. Yeah. And, and it's because bodybuilders are getting smarter, right? Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So, you know, Arnie Schwarzenegger was put on size in the day and still has arguably one of the best rigs that's ever been seen, right, as far as sym- symmetry goes. But everything was a lot different back then. And now as science has evolved and as people have evolved, bodybuilders have become quite smart people, you know, quite well-researched. A, a lot better know? than they used to be. 100%. Yeah. You know, and, and with that, though, comes the fact that we're not just wanting to you know, gain muscle here just for shits and giggles. We're actually wanting to aid our longevity, yeah. you know. Uh, and that's... That's the whole process of my show, the Travelling Wellness Show, not the Travelling Gain Muscle Show. So I hope you guys got something from that. Please reach out. You've got all the, uh, all the avenues to find us both. Uh, massive thank you to Mike. Good Appreciate on you, buddy. It. Appreciate your time. And we'll see you guys uh, next week on the Travelling Wellness Show. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Caravan Conversations, proudly produced by PSE Supplements. To see more about the podcast, including notes from the episode, please visit caravanconversations.com.